Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Coming up is Tiger Woods hurting his legacy. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. We usually do Trent's takes this time each and every day. Trent out of town. And so uh, coming up, we'll do something a little different. We'll get to a little bit of a sound check, play some audio from throughout the sports world in just a few moments. But in the meantime, let me first get to this Tiger Woods take. Darren Ravel, who has 2 million followers on Twitter, and he uh, covers like the betting side now and the business side of sports, He's somebody that's largely, uh, uh, for, you know, you can, you can ignore Darren Ravel and his uh, Twitter account because of uh, polls like this, where he asked, for his legacy, does Tiger need to retire right now? And the options were absolutely or no way. There have been more than 15,000 votes. 87% say no way. He does not need to retire now to keep his legacy intact. 13%, however, do agree with the thought that he should retire right now i think all of this is just gravy for tiger woods and uh, this has been my my point uh since he made his return after that car accident uh he can't hurt his legacy we're going to hold this against all the great accomplishments because working on one leg right he's not the golfer he once was after back issues now in his mid-40s however old he is it's it's going to have no impact it has nothing to do with it many have compared it to michael jordan with the wizards you don't think about it Jordan played for the Wizards. They were a terrible team. Didn't make the playoffs his two years. He averaged 20 points per game, which was down from his usual. You know, he was still good, but clearly wasn't the same guy. The team was lousy. He didn't win any more championships. You forget about it. You remove it from your memory. When you think of Michael Jordan, we talk about the six championships with the Bulls. You only think about the Bulls. You may have even forgotten he played for the Wizards. They did a documentary last year or two years ago. Now at this point, the last dance, didn't mention anything about the Wizards. Nobody cares. That's forgotten. You don't think about that when you talk about Jordan, his legacy, or even his career. You don't think of, well, you may think of Willie Mays with the Mets. It didn't go great, but I don't think it affects his legacy. We still consider Willie Mays one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Finished his career at the Mets. It was a bit of a disaster. Kind of embarrassed himself out there. They had to bench him in the World Series. Doesn't matter. He still had a great career. You know, Emmett Smith. You probably think of him with the Cowboys and not with the Cardinals. We could go on and on. Joe Namath went and, you know, played for another team. Uh, all sorts of guys. Uh, Patrick Ewing. You probably forget he played for the Orlando Magic at the end of his career. Hakeem Olajuwon played for the Raptors. You only think about these guys with their teams and what they accomplished in the primes of their career. I don't think Tiger Woods can hurt his legacy by continuing to play, even if he doesn't make a cut. Right, that was Darren's follow-up. Say he misses uh, every cut for the next two years. It doesn't matter. This is all gravy. Just the fact that he's even out there performing, playing. Granted, not at a high level, but that's, that's irrelevant. Because of this, we're going to say, oh, wait, hold on. Maybe Tiger Woods wasn't a great golfer after all. No, he's had all sorts of injuries. And what he's doing out there is something we've never seen before. That's the other part of it. When Alex Smith came back from his leg injury for the Washington football team, did he play great? No. But you judge on a curve. We were amazed that he was just out there playing football with uh, uh, Aaron Donald jumping on his back his first game back. It wasn't like, well, yeah, but he's not throwing for a lot of touchdowns. I guess Alex Smith isn't the quarterback we thought he was. Yeah, because he's got half a leg out there he's playing on. You're just impressed that he's even playing. Same idea with Tiger Woods. It's remarkable that he's just even out there. So I think whatever Tiger does the rest of his way uh, has no no effect on how we look back on Tiger's career. In fact, it, at this point, you can only help your legacy. I don't think you can hurt it. His legacy is cemented. You can only help it by if Tiger does get better as the years go on, somehow gets healthier the further he's removed from that accident and plays better, right? then you say, wow, right? this is amazing what he's been able to accomplish. But like Jack Nicklaus missed uh, the cut in nine of his last ten majors. Uh, do people talk about that? Do we focus on that when we talk about legacy? Not really. A lot of actors. Robert De Niro has made some real stinkers uh, in recent years. 
like Dirty Grandpa, whatever that movie was, when you think of Robert De Niro or you talk about great actors, you say, ah, De Niro, actually, he wasn't that great of an actor because he did some silly movies in his 60s and 70s. Forget all the iconic films he did before that. It turns out he wasn't that great of an actor because he's doing little Fockers when he's 65 years old. In fact, I would say that when you have the legacy or the career of a De Niro, of a Michael Jordan, of a Tiger Woods, that you have that wiggle room that you could go kind of do whatever you want afterwards. Tiger Woods right now is uh, nine over, and he's in 149th place. And uh, he's only uh, he's only had a better first two days than one, two, three, four, five, six golfers. Not great. He's the seventh worst golfer so far this weekend. While I believe none of this impacts Tiger's legacy, I also think he's really done competing. I think what's working against Tiger Woods is twofold. Number one, if you're only going to play in four events, right, the majors, maybe you add an extra one. A little, maybe you play with your, your kid every once in a while in one of those father-son events. You play five times a year, it's just difficult when you're in the physical shape that Tiger is right now of trying to get his body up and going. As they say, a body in motion stays in motion. As you get older, you know it's hard to get cranked up if you're only going to do it four times a year. I play pickup basketball, as I always share. I'm still, I would still be considered, I guess, a young buck. But I tell you, right, when you sit down too long, you get tightened up, you get stiff. When we uh, take a rest in between games, I'm always, I stay on my feet. You're always moving. You don't want to sit down. It's hard to get back up again. So for Tiger, you play in one event, and I know he's still training and he's still playing in between, but it's not the same as competing in a major. You play in one event, you take a few weeks off, a month or two, then you get back out there. It's just hard to keep ramping it up. And the other thing working against him is the fact that usually you have a quicker turnaround day one to day two, and for his body, that just makes it even harder. So when he struggled on day one yesterday and has a quicker turnaround to get that body ready to go for day two, that's not going to make things easier. And he did worse. I believe he did worse today than he did yesterday. It's hard for that quick turnaround. It's like a 12-hour process for him to, uh, to get himself better. Actually, he did do better in round two than round one. But nonetheless, right, that doesn't make things any easier. When you have the quicker turnaround, uh, typically, not always, uh, but you have a quicker t- 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 turnaround to day two. Day one, you have the whole week to get ready for it. Then you have to come back a few hours later the next day and try to compete. You can always join the conversation, 843-721-9500 to give us a call. Let's go to the phones. Joe is with us. Joe, what's going on? How are you? Hey, good afternoon. Got a quick question for you. Yeah, what's up? Of the six players that Tiger is in front of, how many of them are past champions? Uh, I don't think any. Oh, really? Okay, because I was looking. Duvall is on the list, and the cup in Calcavecchia, and then, you know, there's a couple of them that are down there, to, you know, hanging on, just playing, just to play, because this uh, tournament is located where it is. So, just curious. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I appreciate it. That's a fair point. And Duvall is Duvall is at the very bottom, so he is on that list. Duvall's even worse. Uh, and he's, you know, he's 50 years old. He's a little bit older. So, yeah, maybe a couple of champions. But obviously, guy's not doing very well. But similar idea of just hanging on, playing out there, because it's, as Tiger said, this is my last, probably my last opportunity to play the Open here. I don't think anything that he does moving forward affects the legacy. And he already showed coming back from, uh, from his injuries and winning the Masters a couple years ago, that was the icing on top. This is all just gravy. This, is, uh, this has no impact. Hey, speaking of the golf, as I mentioned earlier, we usually do Trent's takes around this time. Instead, let's get to some, uh, some audio throughout the sports world. Call it Soundcheck. And uh, let's run through some of these. Here is Jim Nance in the broadcast of the Open, where, as you'll hear, does not want to say live golf series or golf tour or anything, does not want to use the term live when referring to that rival tour in the golf world. Here was uh, Nance yesterday broadcasting the Open. Wars it right in. So it's a good start for Dustin Johnson, who finished tied for 24th at the U.S. Open. That was sandwiched in between a couple of events that, of course, everybody knows that uh, he's in the rival league. And uh, so much talk about this week of that at this Open Championship. And we all know, you might as well say, I'm sure those uh, were uh, rules that came down from over Jim Nance's head. Now, there have been this idea that, you know, they're being real petty towards the live golfers this week. And the live golfers have been complaining. They're getting bad tee times. They're getting paired with bad partners. They're not getting uh, good press conferences. Mickelson was upset with the question he kept uh, getting asked yesterday. Uh, You have Nance not even referring to live golf. But what do you expect? 
Now, I've defended the golfers that have gone to the Live Golf Tour in search of that larger payday. I've defended them. Most media members have not. But I can't defend what, what do you anticipate? It's like if you leave the company that you're working for, and then you're surprised you don't get an invitation to the holiday party. Well, what do you expect? You don't work there anymore. You're either with us or against us. And these golfers went against the others on the PGA Tour. And now you're going to be surprised when you show up and the accommodations aren't all that great? What do you anticipate? That's, that should be expected. So I'm all for going and chasing the money, but don't be surprised when they're going to be a little ticked off and they treat you differently afterwards, after you leave them. Right? Don't dump somebody and then expect like uh, to be friends afterwards. Don't be surprised when they're upset the next time they see you. They still haven't gotten over it. Uh, what do you expect? It's going to be a little icy. Same idea here. And Nance refusing to even mention the Live Golf Tour during the broadcast, even though we all know what he's talking about. Here is Charles Barkley. He went on a podcast, a Washington Commanders podcast, which seems like a weird source, although Bradley Beal plays in that area, of course. I guess they don't just only talk about football. This was Charles Barkley in response to Bradley Beal's huge contract with the Washington Wizards. Here's what uh, Barkley thought. Let me tell you something. I love my mom. She passed away a few years ago. Every time I see one of those contracts, I want to drive to the graveyard and just snatch her up and say, why couldn't you just wait a couple more years to have me? Just a couple more years. Because he wants the big paydays they get now in the NBA. Why couldn't you wait a few more years to have Charles Barkley? I think there's a lot of uh, resentment uh, from the older players, and you can understand why, to current athletes, really in all sports, and the amount of money they make. We always hear that. Barkley seems to be doing just fine, but he's also somebody that, as we know, loves to gamble. And so maybe like Phil Mickelson has gotten himself into some trouble. And uh, Mickelson's also, or I should say Barkley's also said he's been talking to Live Golf about joining them as a broadcast personality. So he's never one to shy away from uh, money-making opportunity. But yeah, it'd be a lot different for the guys if they were playing in the NBA nowadays. The money has increased so much. And we've had former athletes on the show, and they talk about the jobs they had in the NFL offseason, being like a substitute teacher, working at a gym, whatever it was. And you just have to work multiple jobs. Spring training is as long as it is because guys would have to get into shape. They'd show up out of shape because they weren't they were working jobs off season. All right, now we gotta get ready for my baseball season. So spring training's two months long, so you could get into actual playing shape. Now, yeah, Bradley Beal, who's a good player, no doubt. Right, but they're getting two hundred and fifty million, whatever it is. It's it's crazy. James Harden has already made something like seven hundred million dollars and he's gonna become a billionaire. He's never won a championship. Of course, Barkley and other guys of that ilk would love to play in this era. Here was a um, news reporter in the Albany, New York area. I actually have family in the area. Now, here's the backstory before I play the audio. She uh, was working a, a double shift on Saturday, and she had worked Friday night, right? So she worked a shift as a news news broadcaster Friday night, worked Saturday morning. Here she was Saturday night. Now, this is just one clip, but the whole newscast was very awkward. She was uh, kind of slurring her words. As you'll hear, she gets her coworker's name wrong. She's been put on leave. People believe she was drunk or under the influence of something else. She said it was just simply exhaustion from, from working all weekend. Here's how it sounded on um, one of the news stations in Albany this past weekend. More than 50 million people across the country southeast are under warnings for excessive heat. And boy, don't you know that? 105 degrees in Texas today. I just spoke with my mother. That's what she's dealing with. It's a major heat wave. And it is, it's, it's just hitting everywhere. We're so lucky. It's only 80 degrees here. We are really lucky here in the capital region. I mean, let me tell you about that. These areas are reaching such areas. I mean, it's Houston, Austin, San Antonio. I mean, they're not expected. It has happened. Like, you don't need us telling you that it's bad. It's like, like people are being told to, like, stay inside, drink a lot of water. And we are just lucky. This weekend right here is so amazing. Uh, uh, meteorologist Craig Adams is right here with you. I'm sorry, Craig Adams. Why did I say that? Of course, clearly, like here, we're taking a live look over uh, downtown Albany. And, and of course, just like me, meteorologist Craig Gold is working a double shift and so um, he's in and we've been we've been tracking this and you know we've been talking about just like what it's been like across the country and the different reasons that why it's so hot in other areas and we're having really nice weather here so let's get over to uh, Craig Gold 
Hey, yep. Craig. All right. Good evening, Heather. And yeah, the weather has been quite nice here across. The weatherman, Craig, probably couldn't wait for her to finally send it to him. And she just kept going on. All right. And just uh, get it away from her. Now, she was the only one. She was anchoring the news by herself, had the weatherman. And the producer running the show was only on the job for about a month. And so, as he said afterwards, he really didn't know how to handle the situation. Uh, her name is Heather uh, Kovar. Um, she uh, said she did not have anything to drink that day. It was just simply exhaustion. She worked the night prior, then had to work 6 to 8 a.m., the 6 to 8 a.m. broadcast Saturday, and then had to come back for 6 p.m. and 11 p.m. Saturday, which is where that clip comes from. And then she was also supposed to do the same thing on Sunday, which is wild that you would make somebody uh, work these shifts. And according to other people that have worked in the area, they say it's a toxic work environment. She said it was stress, not having enough sleep. Uh, being worked too hard over the weekend. She has since been placed on, on leave. She already told uh, the CBS 6 that uh, she wasn't going to renew her contract anyways. Maybe in the last of Heather Kovar in Albany. But it made uh, viral news with her performance Saturday. And lastly, here's Don LaGreca. We always love to play a good rant here on the Morrow Midday Show. Don LaGreca is one of the co-hosts of the Michael K Show on ESPN Radio in New York City. He's dealing with a caller here who's making the case that Joey Gallo, the New York Yankees, is holding the Yankees back. That's the uh, idea of the argument. But throughout the conversation, the caller keeps telling Don LaGreca that he's only where he is because of the host of the show, Michael Kay, who's also the play-by-play broadcaster of the Yankees. You can find the full clip online. It's about six minutes long, this conversation. Here's the end of it when Don LaGreca has finally had enough, and he snaps on ESPN Radio in New York. So, Don, if they had a guy batting 300 in his spot, they'd be 25 games up. That's how he's hurting it. Oh, my God. Is that, you think so? That's what you career, need to do. Look, stop with your Michael K. I'm on the air. I, mean, I worked at the fan before Michael K. I do Ranger games without Michael K. 16 years doing pre and post for the Jets. Guess what? No Michael K. I got a podcast that's in the top 50 in every country on the planet. No, Michael K. I've got two kids. I've got a wife. 17 years I'll be married to in September. Guess what? No, Michael K. I've got hair that people would die to have. Michael K., nothing. I'm a fabulous driver. Michael K. has got nothing to do with it. I'm one of the best friends you could ever have in your life. Zero to do with Michael K. Do not ever say to me, you wouldn't have the guts to say it to my face, Michael K.'s got nothing to do with what I am and who I am. I can work with Michael K. I can work without Michael K. You better bring it. Don LaGreca on ESPN Radio in New York City. He is well known for his rants, and he had enough of that one caller insinuating he's only where he is because of Michael K. Now, I think the caller was probably referring to his professional career, but I love that Don then took that in another direction where he said, hey, I have two kids, and I've been married for 17 years, and Michael K. has nothing to do with that, as if the idea is that Don LaGreca cannot exist at all without Michael K. Went on to talk about his great hair, his driving ability, how he's a good friend. I love this. And I love the idea of when you're trying to prove yourself to be like a good person, what are your go-tos? After he said the professional stuff, the podcast, the host of the Rangers, yada, 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 right? His go-to, of course, family, kids, good father, married for a long time, and then the hair, the driving ability. I don't think those are two things I would think of. And the fact that he's a good friend as well. All important things. you got to have good hair, got to be able to drive, got to be a good friend, and being a good family man as well. Doing it all without Michael K. We'll wrap up Hour 2 when we come back. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Hey, shout out to Jack Shaw, who apparently is a Kansas City Royals fan. He went to a game this week, and the plan was to eat a hot dog every half inning. So do the math. That's 18 hot dogs over the course of the Royals game. The game took three hours and eight minutes. It did include a bottom of the ninth inning. And so Jack Shaw had to eat 18 hot dogs, and he nailed them. He got them all down. He ate 18 hot dogs. In three hours and eight minutes. Now, of course, the pacing is also important, right? you got to have one every half inning. Maybe that helps to space it out a little bit. 
until you get a quick one, two, three half inning. You got to shovel that hot dog down before they get off the field. But 18 hot dogs in three hours and eight minutes. I don't think he did any toppings. I don't think he even did any condiments looking at the video online. Put the video on TikTok. You could see the life slowly leave him the longer it goes on. He said he's never eating a hot dog again. Said he felt fine after, but slept better than he ever has. Went home and just fell asleep after the game. And these are pretty good-sized hot dogs, too. I feel like I could probably do one an inning. I don't know if I could do one every half inning. I could probably get nine hot dogs down in three hours. Don't know about 18. Props to Jack Shaw. Hour three, coming up next. WTMZ 98.9 FM, WTMZ 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Final hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Plenty to do coming up in the next hour. We'll get back to Gigi Jackson and break it down from all angles as he decommitted from UNC last night. Plus, Arch Manning. Is he as big of a star as he is already because of his last name? Also, the NBA considering changing the one-and-done rule. And we have to get to this week's persona non grata before we go. Plenty more to do throughout the hour. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. And the podcast is also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Always a pleasure to catch up with Phil Steele, as we did earlier, previewing the college football season. And you can always get in touch with the show. Head over to charlestonsportsradio.com, click on our show page, and leave a comment for the show there. On Twitter, at Morrow Middays. You can text the show, 843-608-1734. Or you can always join the conversation on the phones, 843-721-9500. Hey, we closed out last hour talking about the Kansas City Royals fan that was able to get down 18 hot dogs over the course of the game. He had to have a hot dog every half inning. And as the Royals lost the game, he also shoveled down 18 hot dogs. The game took three hours and eight minutes. He had no toppings on the hot dog, not even the condiments, nothing. They were good-sized hot dogs. I don't know if they were footlongs, but they looked longer than your normal hot dog. Some thick buns there as well. That's always the toughest part, getting down all that bread. I mean, you you feel like you want to explode after all that bloating. But 18 hot dogs in three hours and eight minutes, pretty good. You're hoping for some long half innings to give you a little bit of a break in between, I imagine. Got them down, said he never wants to have a hot dog again. Anderson, over the course of a baseball game, how many hot dogs do you imagine you could put away? <laughs> Not 18, I know that. No, I, I agree. Yeah, I think maybe one an inning is still pushing it. I think probably 7 to 9 range. Is that I, what you think? I'm with you. I think I could do one an inning. Yeah. I don't know if it helps to stretch it out or not. Like, if I'm going to eat nine hot dogs, I almost feel like I just want to get it over with Yeah. instead of doing one an inning. Yeah. And as they say, like, it takes 20 minutes for your body to know that it's full. So I think the idea, that's why you see, like, these competitive, like, you got to get it down. Getting all nine down in those 20 minutes before my body knows it's about to explode. As opposed to, like, by the time you're in the ninth inning, like, oh, shoot, I got to get, I still have to eat another hot dog. So I'm with you. I think I could probably do nine. I think I could do one an inning or at least just one for every inning. And it depends on the hot dog. Because you go to some places, you get a hot dog. It's uh, you know, it's it's not all that big. Like you go to, uh, I've worked in minor league baseball, so I've had plenty of hot dogs. From my, you get some hot dogs, maybe the River Dogs, anywhere a minor league baseball game. Oh, I could throw, I could put down four of those, no problem. One sitting watching a baseball game. These hot dogs in this video, though, they were pretty big. Those are big hot dogs. Yesterday we were talking about pizza. I put me in the mood for pizza. Now I'm in the mood to go. Get, I'm I'm considering going to go get nine hot dogs now. I haven't eaten all day. We'll shovel down nine hot dogs, see how I do. Congrats to him. 
18 over three hours. That's pretty good. Hey, the big news of the day is G.G. Jackson decommitting from UNC last night. And the belief is that over the next couple of weeks, he's going to commit to South Carolina. His mother's alma mater, the school in his backyard. Stay home, go play for the Gamecocks before heading to the NBA for a year. We'll break it down from all angles. Now, we played this audio earlier, but here was, uh, in case you missed it, Mike Yuva breaking uh, down how we got to this point. Why is G.G. Jackson decommitting, becoming available once again? Mike Yuva covers the Gamecocks for Gamecock Central. Here's um, how he broke down how we arrived at this point here as G.G. made his announcement on social media last night at 10 p.m. Here's Mike. UNC coaches made a trip down to Columbia to ask Jackson if he would want to reclassify before the Tar Heels used their final two scholarship spots for the 2022 class on other players, those players being via the transfer portal. Jackson declined. Flash forward to mid-July, and now the six-foot-eight power forward has altogether said no to North Carolina by decommitting. That now leaves three options available for Jackson. One would be the G League. The next would be to stay in the class of 2023. Well, the third would be to reclassify to the class of 2022 and commit to another school. As On3 has reported, there have been strong beliefs that the Ridgeview star will commit to the University of South Carolina. As of Tuesday, July 12th, the On3 recruiting prediction machine at the Gamecocks as the favorites to land Jackson at just under 57%. The second best odds at 41.7% was UNC, the school that he just decommitted from. If Jackson were to commit to South Carolina, On3 is told that he plans on reclassifying to the class of 2022. Having completed all of his coursework and having already been accepted into South Carolina, there's no holdup as Jackson is good to go to enroll early into the university. In fact, prior to Jackson's commitment to USC, the Gamecocks still had two scholarships available. Mike, you have a breaking it down. We've had him on the show a few times. We've played audio for Mike. He's got a little Adam Schefter to him. And uh, that was the latest with uh, the report there of, of how we uh, reached this point. Here is Travis Branham, who covers recruiting for 24-7 Sports, adding an extra wrinkle to this whole equation. There's been some rumblings about this. Uh, as mentioned, right, his mother uh, wanted him to go to the alma mater, apparently go to South Carolina. After originally committing to UNC, maybe now he'll flip to the Gamecocks. Here was uh, Branham with uh, part of what went into all this decision, this move for Gigi Jackson. This is something that I think we could have seen all along. Um, in recruiting, it's not always as simple as just recruiting the player. There's a lot of people with, say, uh, that come around the player. And in this instance, there was a lot of forces pushing Gigi Jackson to ultimately end up at South Carolina. They pushed it hard the first time around before he ever made this decision. And I've been pushing it hard ever since he even made his commitment. And now it is all signs are pointing to the fact that Gigi Jackson will decommit from North Carolina and eventually make this announcement that he will go to South Carolina and enroll early in the class of 2022. Exciting times for Gamecock fans to get a talent like Gigi Jackson. However, here's Adam Finkelstein, who is the director of scouting for 24-7 Sports, who maybe isn't as high on the move as most other people are certainly fans. Here's uh, Adam's thoughts. I, I, for one, am a little skeptical of the decision. I understand everybody's... Uh, kind of the run to the money to be draft eligible at the earliest possible stage. Um, but next year's NBA draft is absolutely loaded. And I think that Gigi Jackson's position uh, relative to the rest of the high school class of, of 2022 is, is not going to be quite as um, prestigious, shall we say, as it was in the class of 2023. He's got a lot of questions to answer in front of NBA scouts from a skill set standpoint, from a positional standpoint. I mean, he's a, in my mind, he's a kind of a four man who, who wants to be a three man and, and maybe closer to a five man when you, in terms of like his, his lateral mobility. Um, so there's a lot of questions to answer. And this is, um, you know, there, there's going to be certainly a microscope under this decision. Yeah, sure. We'll be to see if it, if it works out. Let's break it down from all angles for UNC. First time that they've had somebody decommit on them. Not a great look for Hubert Davis in his first full off season, but you know, Dean Smith always said, if you accept our offer to become a Tar Heel, UNC will compete for national championships. If you don't accept our offer to become a Tar Heel, UNC will compete for national championships, whether you're here or not. And so I'm sure that's still the philosophy of UNC today. Hey, you're with us, you're with, against it, whatever. We're still going to do our thing. We're going to go win. They were just in the national championship game. Hubert's doing a good job recruiting. Not a great look, but I'm sure they're moving just right along at UNC.
For Gigi, he has three options, as Mike laid out in the audio clip we played a moment ago. He could go the G League route, give it a year, and then make himself uh, eligible for the draft a year from now. He could remain in the class of 2023 and make a decision to join a school a year from now, maybe potentially UNC. Or he could reclassify to the class of 2022, commit to another school, and go play right away. The idea is he's going to do that, and he's going to do that to join the Gamecocks. The school in the backyard, the school that uh, reportedly his mother would prefer. It may sound risky, but we've seen top players reclassify in the past, and it's usually worked out. Carl Anthony Towns did it. So too did Jamal Murray and Andrew Wiggins and Andre Drummond and R.J. Barrett and Shaden Sharp, who was just a top 10 pick for the Trailblazers, and even Marvin Bagley Jr., right? Top players who reclassified, and it worked out okay for them. So if it sounds like a bit of a concern to reclassify, to go from UNC to South Carolina, maybe we haven't seen another guy make a move like that. But there is a track record for Gigi Jackson of, of, of it working out for others. That Hopefully that's the same case for him. Now for South Carolina, of course it would be huge if you landed Gigi Jackson. On paper, it would be the most talented player you've brought in. They've never had a top 24 recruit. Gigi Jackson in certain areas is the number one recruit. It'd be a big get for the Gamecocks. And for Lamont Paris, be a real feather in his cap before he even coaches a game that he's able to not only get Gigi Jackson, but to get him to flip, and especially from UNC. And you want to talk about the Carolina and the real Carolina or the better Carolina. And I think, uh, you know, there's always this conception that not only sports, but just in general, North Carolina seems to be like uh, the, the, the belief of the, the better state, right? They seem to be, um, if you talk to somebody from North Carolina, the belief that they are the better Carolina. Don't know if that's the case. But from an athletics perspective, to be able to get Gigi Jackson to flip from North Carolina to come to South Carolina, that's a big win for a number of different reasons. And if you're the Gamecocks, as I said earlier, it's really more about the future than it is the present. What would you accomplish in one year of, of Gigi? If you go back and you look at one and duns, and look, South Carolina should not anticipate winning a national championship. But if you go back and look at the history of one and duns, Duke, in 2015, Kentucky in 2012, and then Carmelo 20 years ago are probably the only examples of actually winning a championship with a one-and-done player. Or in the case of Duke and Kentucky, a starting five of one-and-one players, uh, one-and-done players. Syracuse, Melo was on his own, but he was just so good. I mean, he, he had a good supporting cast, but he was the one, one-and-done player, and he was just phenomenal that year. Point being that the one-and-done players, as good as they are, they go to the NBA right away. They become good NBA players. It's usually that one guy is not enough to fully carry a college basketball team. You still need enough around them. And I don't know if the Gamecocks will have enough around G.G. Jackson to do a whole lot. What would be that right? What would be that ceiling? I don't know. Make the tournament at bare minimum, certainly. Win a tournament game would be nice. But realistically, I think that's what we're looking at. I think it would be huge if you just got past the opening weekend. Otherwise, that's a great year. You just get to the tournament. They haven't. It's been a few years. You win a game. You make it to the actual weekend. Eh, that's about it. I don't think they'd win the SEC. I don't think they'd make a run in the tournament. How high is that ceiling in one year of Gigi Jackson? The hope instead is that it helps down the road by leading to other talented players in the state staying close to home and other talented players out of the state seeing South Carolina as an option to go to and turn into an NBA player. And in the state of South Carolina, you have Jordan Butler in the class of 2023. He's the number 69 recruit in the country. You have Cohen Carr, number 65 in the country, in the class of 2023. You have Cam Scott in 2024, the number 21 recruit. So there's some good talent right down the road in the state that you could try to parlay and keep in the state. Come play at South Carolina because of the commitment from Gigi Jackson. For Lamont Paris, yeah, it's a huge get. But my warning earlier this week is that when you get a talent like this, it just increases expectations. There is no learning experience, learning curve, buffer zone. First-time coach in the SEC with a depleted roster in a pretty good deep conference, you better win right away. And if you don't, right, it's going to reflect poorly on you. It's going to come back to you as the head coach. And then if Gigi is one and done, well, you better find a way to replace him. If you go back and you look, the idea is that when you get one of these guys, it opens the door to other great talents. It helps in recruiting for years beyond just the season that that player is in the program. 
But if you look back just the last five, six years, Anthony Edwards was one and done at Georgia. They just won, what, like six games this past year? Didn't help after he left. Tom Crean got fired. Cade Cunningham left Oklahoma State, one and done. Had a really good year, made it to the tournament. Without him, they dropped back to 500 this past year. They've had some off-the-court issues. Mike Boynton's a bit on the hot seat. We'll see how Oklahoma State does this year or moving forward. We'll see if they, in the near future, have a better season than when they actually had Cade Cunningham. Jalen Brown was one and done at Cal, was then drafted third overall. Cal hasn't made the tournament in uh, the six years since, and they're on their third coach. In fact, his actual coach, Quanzo Martin, brought him in and then left Cal a couple years later because he said, uh, because of, quote, the depleted roster. So it actually had nowhere close to the impact they were hoping for. It didn't bring in talent. The roster was depleted. He had to leave. LSU was one and done with Ben Simmons, and then they had to fire their coach, Johnny Jones, a year later because the next year they won only 10 games. Will Wade came in, had success, but had to pay players in order to get recruits to still come to LSU. Washington had uh, Markel Foltz, one and done, was the number one pick in the draft. His coach was then fired. Steve Alford had Lonzo Ball, one and done at UCLA, number two pick in the draft. Alford was fired less than two years later. Couldn't duplicate the success. Vanderbilt has not made the tournament since Darius Garland was one and done there. He was the number five pick in the draft. They also have made a coaching change since. Point being, when you go back and you look, and that's just the last five to six years, that the theory is you get one of these guys, it leads to a lot more down the road. But that hasn't always been the case. And the concern is, especially for a first-time new coach trying to build a program in the SEC, it ramps things up. It speeds things up. There's no development process. You better start winning right away. And if you don't, they're going to come for you. We've seen it at the NBA level with guys like David Blatt, Jason Kidd in his first go-around with Brooklyn. We've seen it in the NFL, Brandon Staley. You're one play away from the playoffs in your first year as a coach in your 30s. That's pretty good. However, when you have Justin Herbert and you don't make the playoffs, Brandon Staley's already on the hot seat this year. He may be fired after year number two if he doesn't make the playoffs. No learning curve. Guy in his 30s has only been in the NFL for a couple of years, never been a head coach before. Instead of saying, yeah, let's be patient with him, no, you have Justin Herbert. You better win some games. And if you don't, you're out of a job in two years. You never turn down great talent. You always want to get talent whenever you can, and you hope it leads to more talent down the road. But also understand that it's only going to increase expectations. And when those expectations aren't met, fair or otherwise, right, it's going to lead to even more issues. So for Lamont Paris, you're stoked, you're excited, you get Gigi Jackson, but know what that puts on your plate as well, that you better build something quick in Columbia, otherwise things are going to look even worse. And you better hope that you can parlay this type of player into greater recruits moving forward. Because it didn't exactly work out that way for a lot of other coaches. Like Tom Crean, and so far Mike Boynton, and Quanzo Martin, and Johnny Jones, and Steve Alford, and so on and so forth. And that's just in the last half decade. Coming up, speaking of Gigi Jackson, along those lines, we'll get to Arch Manning in a little bit. Another big prospect, big name that has yet to make it to the college ranks. But when we come back, uh, in regards to Gigi Jackson, Adam Silver had some comments this week about changing uh, the, the draft rule. And not because of Gigi Jackson, but this is another example of the NBA's rule of the whole one and done. You have to be one year removed from high school. Is this something the NBA could change? Is it something they should change? We'll get to that next. The more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today. Due to lack of hustle, deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Could the NBA remove the one-and-done rule? Should they? We'll get to that on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. We've been talking about Gigi Jackson throughout the afternoon. UNC, who he just decommitted from, they put out their non-conference schedule for the upcoming year. They'll host College of Charleston on November 11th, and they will host the Citadel on December 13th. So looking forward to that. Went to uh, go play Duke this past year. The Citadel did and got to go there for the first time, and now... Get to go check out uh, UNC for the first time. 
So I'm looking forward to that. Get to cross off a couple of things from my college basketball bucket list here in the span of about 12 months. So that'll be fun. And College of Charleston, after playing UNC here in the Lowcountry last year, they'll return the favor in November um, of this year, this upcoming season, one of the first games of the year. And in fact, that's I believe that's the first week, first full week of the college basketball season. So that'll be fun, too. So College of Charleston and the Citadel both making the trip. Now, Anderson, if I were to ask you, uh, on the bucket list, any sporting event in the world, any sport, where would you love to go? What's something that you would love to do you haven't done yet? Hard to, hard to narrow it down to just one. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you two. I'm thinking sure. two. The Masters and the Rose Bowl. Before the Rose Bowl kind of, you know, it's yeah. kind of getting pushed out of, uh, you know, the hierarchy of big things in college football. So I'd like to see that uh, before it goes down a little bit. But, yeah, those are probably my favorite two. Those are two good ones. I would, I would love to go to a, a Masters. Rose Bowl, yeah, that'd be cool, too. As you said, though, yeah, you, be, you better probably do it in the next couple of years because uh, that's probably going to change uh, in uh, 2025 yeah. once USC leaves and everything on the Pac-12 falls apart. But that'd be a good one. Did I hear earlier on the Scott Hamilton show, what were you guys doing? Were you ranking, uh, what, like golf courses? What was that? Yeah, so Scott said he wanted to put uh, one, like his like his best nine, like his favorite uh, nine holes, and then uh, me do mine and then combine them for an 18. We came up with, I think, about a 7,200-yard uh, out. Uh, so uh, there was a lot of good a lot of good holes on there. I, I had two Masters holes, Whistling Straits. Uh, I threw in Pinehurst because it's right nearby, and uh, mm-hmm. obviously the Ocean Course of Kiowa, too. So Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's an interesting idea. It was fun, yeah. Um, yeah, those are two good ones. Masters, Rose Bowl. When it comes to college basketball, like I said, Duke, UNC, probably the two places, top of my list that I would want to go to. So uh, thank you to the Citadel. Get to go, we got to go to Duke last year. That was a lot of fun. And we'll check out UNC this year without Gigi Jackson. Now, Gigi has three choices to make. We all assume, everybody assumes he's going to South Carolina. And so listen to the smart people when they talk and they say that's going to be the case. But he does have three options, as mentioned. I mean, he could wait a year. He could, even if he wanted to, you could just sit out a year. You could go to the G League. You could go overseas, right? You could do something like that and play uh, professionally for a year before becoming NBA draft eligible. And Gigi Jackson is viewed as one of these one-and-done guys. He'll be in the NBA if he reclassifies a year from now. Here is Adam Silver. He held a press conference earlier this week. We played some of the audio. I think it was yesterday. He also was asked about the one-and-done rule. Before we get to the audio, two misconceptions. Number one, it's not a college basketball rule. People always think the NCAA put this rule in to try to force kids to come play for their schools. It's an NBA rule, which is why kids go overseas or to the G League, whatever it is. It just has to be one year removed from high school before you can come to the NBA. Number two misconception is that it really it, this was not something that was put in by the NBA. It was the players that included it in the CBA. Now, maybe it was a bargaining chip. But it was implemented when David Stern was the commissioner. It was the players, the players' side, the players' union that wanted this rule. Because I would believe it buys you a year of job security. Instead of Zion coming in right out of high school, well, give you a one-year buffer. Buy a little more time. He's got to wait an extra year, which means for somebody else, that's one more year in the league. And when it comes to the players' union, they're looking out for themselves and their opportunities and their jobs and their money. So two misconceptions. It's an NBA rule, first and foremost. And it was implemented, it was the players that brought it to the table, uh, technically, not the league itself. Here is Adam Silver addressing the future of said rule and if they may uh, get rid of it here in the future for the NBA. I think there's an opportunity. It's a larger conversation than just whether we go from 19 to 18, but I'm on record. And, and, and when I balance all these various considerations, I think that would be the right thing to do. And, and I am hopeful that that's a change we make in this next collective bargaining cycle, which will happen in the you know, next couple of years. Yeah, so that's why he has to phrase it like that, right? I hope because the players still have to sign off on it. If it was up to Adam Silver in the league, I'm sure they would do it because it's no harm to the NBA. You don't have to take them out of high school, but if they're good enough, you're just getting talent in your league sooner. I've always gone on record that I prefer the idea of going to college for that year, at least compared to the G League or going overseas It's much better to go to college. It raises your profile. We know these college players more than we do somebody who plays for the G League Ignite. I don't think you can name one player. Or somebody who goes overseas. We had this past year two guys drafted out of the G League Ignite, uh, and one of them fell to the second. He was a top, I think it was top five recruit in the country coming out of high school. Fell to the second round in the draft this past year. Meanwhile, you look at the guys at the top of the draft, they go to, you know, the typical programs in college basketball. 
And I've always said when it comes to college basketball, not only the exposure, March Madness if you go to a good school, but just playing. Zion Williamson is who he is in part because he went to Duke. And his foot exploded through his shoe and everything. He had a, a shoe contract coming out of Duke before he even played in the NBA because of what happened. Now, in these parts, you probably heard of Zion when he was coming out of high school. But nationwide, you didn't really start hearing about Zion until towards the end of that whole high school recruitment as he was graduating. And in large part, you heard about him because, oh, he's going to Duke. Here's the number one player. He's going to Duke. And listen, look at this kid and what you would hear about him. Now, he's considered a bit of a unicorn. But most of these kids benefit from playing in college, not only in terms of their profile, their brand, the awareness, becoming a household name, but then also you play for great coaches. They have the training facilities there. They'll turn you into a man as you come out of high school from 18 to 19. That's a big year in development. And most guys just aren't good enough to go from high school to the NBA. There's very few. LeBron James was a freak of nature, right? Dwight Howard as well. Most of these guys, every once in a while, you get one and it actually work out. So you're also talking about when it comes to this rule, you're talking about the impact on very few guys. Problem is, most players probably will believe that they could jump right from high school to college, or I should say a high school to the NBA, then you don't get drafted. Now it's kind of like, all right, now what? Now I do go overseas or go to the G League, and you're kind of in purgatory for a year. So I'm sure Adam Silver in the NBA would love to uh, remove that rule. I think it's good for the players that you go to a year of college, you learn from great coaches, you build your profile, we're watching you. You get an extra year of seasoning, and then you go to the NBA. Now, is it great for the school? I mean, it's great to have that talent, but you know the kid's not going to class. Once basketball season's over, he's not even on campus anymore. It is all a bit of a joke in terms of trying to force these kids to go to a year of college. They're not doing anything. They're just there to play basketball. They leave the school once the season's over, get ready for the NBA draft. But I still think for the kids from a basketball perspective, it's a good thing, which I would then take back to Gigi Jackson where he has options. He doesn't have to go play for a college. He doesn't have to go to South Carolina. He could go to the G League. He could go overseas. But all indications are that he's going to play college basketball. Initially, we thought it'd be with UNC. Now we believe it's with South Carolina. I haven't heard any speculation about the other options because he understands and his family understands, and I think most kids should understand. I still think that's the best route, even if it is South Carolina. Even if he's not going to a blue blood like UNC, I still think that's a better alternative than going and playing in Turkey for a year or the G League Ignite that nobody is aware of. So you can get rid of the rule because it's not going to have a huge impact. There's only so many guys that would be able to jump from high school to the NBA. But I would say for a lot of these kids coming out of high school who would love to chase the money, wish they could be in the NBA right away, right, that it's worthwhile to go for that year of college. Especially now with name image likeness, you get paid now anyways. You get paid a little bit before you go to the NBA. And Gigi Jackson, part of his decision is to, yeah, do a year of college before trying to be that draft pick a year from now. I think it's the right move. Speaking of big-time names, nobody's bigger in the basketball recruiting world right now than Gigi Jackson. And when it comes to college football, nobody's bigger than Arch Manning, even though we still have to wait a little bit longer on Arch. When we come back, one recruiting expert believes the hype, in large part, is because of his name. How much of Arch Manning's profile is just because he is a Manning? We'll get to that when we come back. The more Midday Show, right here on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show. On ESPN Radio. We're home with broken hearts. I'm free. I'm free falling. Yeah, I'm free. Free falling. Coming up is Arch Manning, as big of a recruit as he is, just because of the last name. We'll get to that here on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. And before we close out the week, we have to get to our persona non grata for the week as well. Arch Manning, we've been talking a lot about Gigi Jackson, big-time basketball recruit. Well, none bigger in the recruiting world than Arch Manning, especially when it comes to football. Mike Farrell is uh, one of the 
kind of one of the originators. I mean, he's one of the, the highly highest regarded guys when it comes to the recruiting world, analyzing college football recruits. He was on the Crane and Company podcast, and he was asked about Arch Manning. And you'll hear in this clip his thoughts on Arch, and then towards the end of the clip, comparing him to other quarterbacks in the class as well. Here's what Mike Farrell had to say about Arch Manning. His name was Arch Bishop? Smith. <laughs> I think he'd probably be a high three-star quarterback. Wow, um, really? Yeah. Plus. Well, he plays a very low level of competition. He hasn't progressed. He had a really good freshman season. I, I wouldn't say regression, but he hasn't progressed. And when he has had to step up against other competition, you know, especially in the playoff game where he looked awful, it just hasn't translated. Every time I watch other quarterbacks in this class, it knocks Arch down in my head. He's not participating. He's not competing. And this is all summer ball. It's all routes on air. But uh, every time I look at a Malachi Nelson or a Dante Moore or somebody else, I like them better. And, and I've got Arch, you know, sliding into the sixth, fifth range in this class mm-hmm. itself. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting for Mike Farrell. Now, this is a theory that football fans have had. You know, is it just because he is a Manning? But this is the first time I've heard somebody like in that industry in the world of recruiting, actually maybe acknowledge it. And as he said, if he wasn't a Manning member, if that wasn't his last name, he'd be a three-star recruit. He thinks he's only the fifth or sixth best quarterback in his own class, let alone he's ranked as the greatest quarterback recruit we've ever had. You can always get to the show on Twitter, at Morrow Middays. Jeremiah said, tweeted in earlier, I've watched some film on Arch Manning, and physically he's a specimen. His tape is not mind-blowing. I believe people are banking on him having a high football IQ. But I do believe that if his last name was not Manning, he would not be the number one prospect. I think that's a pretty good breakdown. Now, look, I've done my YouTube scouting. I've watched clips of Arch Manning. It's difficult to just watch videos online. Also difficult to judge the talent he's going up against. That's one of the concerns for Arch as well, that he doesn't play in a top-end division of high school football, and he's just a lot better. He's not being challenged or tested on the field. And so when you watch some of the videos and he's running around, right, he's kind of bigger than a lot of the kids and everything, it's like, eh, should he be playing at a higher level? You know, he's got the, the tools. Uh, it's hard to judge uh, how much he's uh, being challenged, especially compared to once he gets to Texas and they join the SEC. But I think the fact that he's a Manning helps and hurts. It's a blessing and a curse. Could be more of a curse than a blessing for a lot of guys, right? Ask Michael Jordan's kids. LeBron's kids are going through it right now. Anytime you're born as uh, the son of a star in the shadow of somebody, even when you talk about like actors and their kids, second-generational musicians or actors, if they want to go down that path, and they, of course, don't have to, just like these athletes don't have to either. But when you choose to go down that same path as your famous father or mother, you know what you're setting yourself up for. I mean, you've got to live up to those expectations. There's going to be more pressure on you than the average normal kid. So it's a blessing and a curse, uh, probably mostly a curse, but... It's twofold. For when it comes to Arch Manning, yeah, it could be a curse that you got to live up to the Manning name. And you're going to be judged compared to your uncles, Peyton and Eli, who both have won multiple Super Bowls and are both number one picks. And that's what's going to be expected from Arch. And that is tough to live up to. Michael Jordan's kids never made it in the NBA. They couldn't live up to anything close to what Michael had done. We'll see about LeBron's kids. But where it becomes a blessing is that he's also a Manning, which in that tweet, right, as mentioned, he's probably uh, people are banking on him having a high football IQ. Yeah, the belief is probably that he's going to be like his uncles. His father was a good athlete. His grandfather, of course, was a good quarterback. And I'd also say that where it's a blessing is that he is a Manning. And you can learn from Peyton and Eli and Arch, and that's pretty good. My family business is uh, the insurance company. And so I've said this before, right? Like if I got into insurance, I feel like I'd have a little bit of an advantage. I could go home and talk about it with my father, with my uncle, with my aunt. My brother used to work in insurance. Like everybody, right? You could pick their brains. You could get ideas. You could throw, bounce some things off of them. Now, when it comes to sports or maybe anything that you do, it's a little, you still have to go out there and perform it, regardless of how good the coaching is. But for Arch Manning, I mean, you're surrounded with some of the best football talent we've ever seen, especially when it comes to his uncle Peyton. And you hope that as he gets older, he's going to develop into somebody like that as well. But I definitely think the name plays into it. I would say the same thing about Bronny James. 
Bronny James was being talked about as, you know, LeBron playing with his kid and he's going to be a top pick. And people are having these conversations like before he's even in high school, just because he's LeBron James's kid. And it turns out he may not even be the best of LeBron's kids. Now, right now, Bryce James, we're hearing these last couple of weeks that, well, hold on, wait a minute, Bryce James may be really good. Uh, of course, right, because he's LeBron's kid. And if LeBron has any other boys that are going to play basketball, he doesn't have any others. But if he were to have another son that plays basketball, we'll have, oh, wait, wait a minute, hold on, this may be the best one, just because it's LeBron's kid. In fact, Bronny James, he plays for a really good high school team. Uh, I, I know he's coming off the bench for a while. Wasn't scoring. He was averaging like five points a game. He just, he's still young. So it's probably too soon to judge, but in the latest Rivals high school player rankings, he slid more than 30 spots. He went from the number 29 player in his class to now 60th. All the hype about Bronny, and we're hearing about LeBron saying, I'm going to play with my son in the NBA. Well, we have to make sure he's an NBA player first and foremost. And right now, he's going in the wrong direction when it comes to high school ratings. Now, look, being the 60th best player in your high school class in the country, still pretty good. There's only 50 states. But point being, he's he, Bronny James, people talk about him like he's the next NBA star. We have to make sure he even makes it to the NBA. He's going in the wrong, he's trending in the wrong direction. He's dropping in high school rankings. But the reason why he was so hyped up to begin with was, yeah, because he's LeBron James' kid. I'm sure a lot of people didn't even see him play. But they hear like he's 6'4", or whatever. He's already a big kid. He's LeBron's son. It's like, oh, yeah, this kid's going to be a star. We don't actually know that. And so I'm sure some of that creeps in with Arch Manning as well. Like he looks the part. He plays well there. And, oh, by the way, he's the nephew of Peyton and Eli Manning. Of course this kid's going to be good. So I think it definitely influences. I think it uh, impacts the rankings a little bit. I don't know enough about the high school recruiting to tell you that, ah, if he wasn't a Manning, he'd be a three-star. I'll leave that up to Mike Farrell. That's an interesting uh, point to be made. Bit of a strong statement. We'll find out as he gets to Texas. But I think absolutely it's inflated a little bit, his profile, just because he is a Manning. But it can also help as well because you got a pretty good sounding board and you grew up in that family. You grew up around the best quarterbacks. You should have a leg up over other kids whose father was not a quarterback. I could tell you in this industry, broadcasters whose father was a broadcaster, there's more nepotism in broadcasting than any other industry. They get a leg up. My father was not a broadcaster. I didn't get any sort of a kid that's also a broadcaster my age whose father is a broadcaster. He has an advantage over me. So similar. In Arch Manning, it's a blessing and a curse. It probably inflates the rating, puts more pressure on him, but you know what? He also grew up around that family where other quarterbacks coming out of high school didn't have that advantage. He could pick up the phone and call his uncle, I assume, whenever, asking him questions or watching, breaking things down. Most other kids don't have that edge. And maybe just he'll develop into what the rest of his family was like if he's not already there. So that could help, too. It's a positive and a negative. Arch. We'll see how he does once he finally gets to Texas. Hey, whenever uh, we finish out the week, we always get to our persona non grata, the person that we look back on from the week that was most disappointing throughout the week. Went against the family of the Moro Midday Show that we had to exile, at least for the time being. So before we go here today and get ready for the weekend, it's time for this week's persona non grata. You are a disgrace to this university, to this country, and humanity in general. You blew it! You are one pathetic loser. God, Karen, you are so stupid. Don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I shut up on your face. Time now for this week's Persona Non Grata. There are some options from throughout the week. Maybe you would say Doug Gottlieb, as we spoke about earlier who's now getting sued by Freddie Freeman's former agent for libel, putting out a report that we talked about in the show weeks ago that I didn't really buy into at the time. But the report that kind of threw Casey Close under the bus, keeping information from Freddie Freeman. I think Freeman deserves more blame than he's really getting in all this and needs to be responsible for his own actions. Can also say, if you're a UNC fan, maybe right now it's Gigi Jackson. But he is only about an 18-year-old kid, so I guess we'll take it easy on him. But if you're a UNC fan, I'm sure maybe you're disappointed, maybe even upset, and I would understand why. This week, though, persona non grata. I'm going to go with friend of the show, Jeremy Schilling. Now, he'll be on the show on Wednesday. He doesn't care. In fact, if I texted him this in a few minutes, I'm sure you get a kick out of it. I know him personally, so I don't mind throwing him under the bus. I love having Jeremy come on to talk golf every Wednesday. 
I think he's fantastic at what he does. He knows the sport. He knows all these golfers. But he's persona non grata this week because on Wednesday when he came on the show, he talked me into betting on Tiger Woods this weekend. Now, much like Freddie Freeman, maybe I should be responsible for my own actions. But I was influenced by Jeremy's breakdown on Wednesday where he was very high on Tiger. He thought he could compete. In fact, Tiger was the first name that Jeremy mentioned when I asked him who he likes this weekend. And he started off with Tiger Woods. Maybe not necessarily to win, but to do pretty well. To be in the running come Sunday. And so I said, that's interesting. And I was influenced. Also by the odds. And I bet for Tiger Woods to finish in the top 10 this weekend. And boy, did that blow up in my face. It never stood a chance. That was a waste. I was better off just taking that money, lighting it on fire, and throwing it out the window. And I blame Jeremy Schilling. I take no responsibility in my poor choice to expect Tiger Woods to do pretty well this weekend. And instead, I put all the onus on Jeremy, who came on and sold me Wednesday about how Tiger was ready-made for this event and how well he was going to do. And unfortunately, Tiger did not follow through. Tiger Woods is 9 over. He's tied for 148th, and he's only done better than about seven golfers so far in the first two rounds, and he's not even going to make the cut. Now, Jeremy's not alone. Myself, I was not alone. 73% of the tickets were on Tiger to make the cut. He won't even get that far. I had him in the top 10. Silly me. And it was a waste of money and a bad bet. Jeremy gives us good information 99% of the time. But one, the 1% was this past Wednesday when he said Tiger's going to compete in this thing. He's ready to go. He's going to play really well. And I put money, my money, where Jeremy's mouth was, and it cost me. If you see somebody under a bridge tonight with a sign asking for some help, it may be your favorite radio host after losing his money on Tiger Woods this past week. Disappointing. And for that... Jeremy is persona non grata when it comes to the Mormon Midday Show. He went against the family. He let me down. With that said, however, he'll be back on the show next Wednesday. We don't hold grudges around here. Colin Cowherd had a great line that holding a grudge is like chain-smoking hate. Don't hold a grudge. Nothing good comes from it. It wears you down over time. It's better to forgive and move forward. And that's what we're going to do. I'm going to hold a little grudge with Jeremy over the weekend. I'll, te- I'll probably text him about it later on. And then come Wednesday, he'll be back on the show. All will be forgiven. And we'll talk some golf. But in the meantime, until then, he's persona non grata this week of the Mormon Midday Show. Let me down with my expectations of Tiger Woods this weekend. Tiger was almost the worst golfer out there the last two days. We talked about Tiger Woods last hour and his performance with the Open. Darren Rovell pondered online if Tiger's hurting his legacy by continuing to play. I don't think so. I don't think you can hurt that legacy. I think the rest of this is just, is just gravy. You can only go up from here. As I also said, the things working against Tiger moving forward are just simply that it is hard to try to ramp up for four majors, and that's all each year when you're in the physical shape that he is. It's probably even harder to try to play every week, but it's difficult when you're only going to play once every couple of months and you try to ramp up for it and uh, give it 100%. You know, it's like even a car. You ever leave a car? You, you don't drive a car for three months. Then you go try to turn it on, and either, either the battery's dead or you got some sort of issues with the car. It's just been sitting out there. It hasn't been driving, and yet so many things went wrong in the months that it was seated out there, seated out there. especially when uh, it's maybe it's in the winter and it wasn't in a garage and was just sitting out there in the cold all winter long, and now you're going to go drive it, especially like if you live in a city. It's been under snow for months. And it's not the best thing for a car. A body in motion stays in motion. Same idea for a car, anything. you gotta, uh, you got to keep everything fresh. And so for Tiger to just only try to play four events and get up for these majors and then physically put his body through that and come back round two. It's just, it's going to be difficult for him to compete in the shape that he's in right now. But if anybody could try to pull this thing off and be okay after all this, it would be Tiger Woods. Baby steps though, right? First, let's make a cut, be okay. I mean, I know he did at the, at the Masters, but we got to work our way towards the point where Tiger maybe is competing on a Sunday. And unfortunately, this week, my eyes got too big. I got too excited. And Jeremy pushed me over the edge. And the reason why I put all the blame on Jeremy, and I take no responsibility because that could never be my fault. A friend of mine texted me about betting on Tiger to finish in the top 10 on Tuesday. And I said, no way. I'm staying away from Tiger Woods this week. I don't think he's going to do well at all. I do not trust uh, him enough to expect anything from him. And then what do you know, 24 hours later, I'm counting on Tiger Woods financially because of Jeremy's expertise on Wednesday. Persona non grata, but we look forward to him joining the show next week to uh, 
talk more golf on Wednesday. We'll wrap up your Friday when we come back. In the meantime, it's the More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Wrapping up your Friday on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston. However, you listen to your podcasts. And the podcasts are also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. You can also take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com or through TuneIn Radio, your smart speaker, or our free app. Search ESPN Charleston in the App Store. And through the app, you can listen to the show live or on demand from anywhere in the world. Appreciate listeners checking in from at least 12 different states and multiple countries on this Friday. Last segment, I gave you my persona non grata of the week. Jeremy Schilling went against the family, and now we have uh, cut off all communication until he rejoins the show on Wednesday. However, suddenly, a new contender has entered the conversation. Because evidently, I guess Scott Hamilton, on the show prior to us, is guilty of the same fate by promoting Tiger Woods finishing in the top 10 as well and costing Anderson his life savings this weekend. Unbelievable. Yep, same exact situation. Bet on him top 10. Bet on him top 10. Well, bottom seven might have been a better bet. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Instead of top 10, bet bottom 10. I think that's what they meant. I think that's what Jeremy was trying to say and Scott. Yeah, we misheard them. So anyways, hopefully uh, you have a better uh, weekend than that. Um. And uh, nonetheless, Anderson's done a fantastic job directing the Mar Midday Show the last couple of days. And we'll be back with us Monday. Trent will be back next week as well. And uh, so, too, will we with whatever else occurs over the weekend in the sports world. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. We'll see what happens with the Open without Tiger Woods in the running this weekend. And anything else that pops up, we'll be here to break it down on Monday. Life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. For now, we say goodbye. We'll say hello again Monday at noon. It's the Morrow Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio.